And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The presenting sponsor of the Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman for this special late, late night edition of The Audible. This is your favorite podcast of the year, isn't it, Stu? It's my second favorite to the one after the national championship game. You know, I was remembering last year we were at the Rose Bowl, so we were on Pacific time, so it wasn't quite so bad. It wasn't, what is it, 3 in the morning right now? It's 3.15 in the morning. Also, I don't usually take such an early flight back, but I didn't have much of a choice. So, And I have a cold. So it's just the perfect combination for a, for a for a podcast. But we are just we've just arrived back from the Alabama Oklahoma semifinal game at the Orange Bowl. Alabama forty five, Oklahoma thirty four. I think the phrase that we would say that I believe you said earlier is not as close as the score would indicate. Yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a blowout early on to the point where I think people were like, "This is going to be like seventy to 17. And then after the first quarter, I just feel like. Oklahoma settled into something of a rhythm. You know, we saw them actually. I actually saw them for a large chunk of the game, winning the game, the battle on the ground. You know, I I think from talking to people after the game, that was probably about as good a defensive performance as, as Oklahoma's played this year against the run. Against the run. Now they're not good against the pass, and Tua is really sharp. I mean, four touchdown passes, only three incompletes. The receivers are much better than anything I think Oklahoma sees. I mean, look, Texas has a couple of really good receivers, too, whereas, and they're bigger guys, they're not as as uh, dynamic athletes, but two is a much better passer than Sam Ellinger or, you know, anybody else they've seen. So I thought they played about as well as they we could have expected them to play on defense. It was offensively, and it didn't help them that Marquise Brown was really a non-factor, wasn't 100%. And without that, I think they needed to be on all cylinders, and I think they needed some help from Oklahoma, from Alabama. Some turnover somewhere, some big play in the kicking game. None of that happened. The formula was going to be that Oklahoma had to jump to a big lead and then make Alabama catch them, and it was the exact opposite. Just could not have had a worse start. I did, you know, I did have visions at first of deja vu a little bit of the Alabama-Notre Dame game, uh, which started the same way in the same stadium. Alabama going the other direction, but that was against a team whose quarterback was Everett Golson. I had a feeling Kyler Murray would not be shut down for four quarters, and he wasn't. And in fact, became the first player ever or quarterback ever to pass for 300 and rush for 100 against Nick Saban in Alabama. All in all, it was it was a pretty good performance by him. It just wasn't enough, and I think that it 
says something that Tua went 24 of 27 and none of it seemed all that earth shattering. Like it's kind of what we've come to expect from him and especially against a not good defense. But, uh, but you know, a question going in was how healthy he was. We saw him leave the stadium with a boot on like a protective boot. So I don't think he's fully a hundred percent yet. And it didn't seem to matter. No. And I, I think the question is going to be with them, you know, you asked something. We're sitting. We happen to be sitting next to each other in the game, and you said, you know, in part because of the Georgia game, you know, that kind of stopped people from saying, could this be one of the greatest teams? Certainly, Nick Saban's had much less of the last, you know, twenty years or so. And I don't know if their defense is is that good. You know, obviously, Quinnen Williams is a terrific player, but their secondary is is not as good as it was certainly they make a Fitzpatrick group or anything like that but you know what they face some really good quarterbacks I mean not just Kyler Murray Drew Locke Jarrett Stidham Jake know, Fromm Jake Fromm thank you so it's not like they haven't seen talent I mean they completely shut down Ole Miss and Ole Miss has three really good receivers this test coming up now I don't want to jump too far ahead with Clemson and Notre Dame but it's just like I think you get this Twitter fatigue of everybody just talking about there's basically two teams that are so much better than everybody else. And it's hard to dispute that after what we saw today. Yeah, it was apparent to me. Alabama and Clemson were my one-two coming into the season. There was a brief period there in September where Clemson looked mortal. Uh, I was there when they you know, had to stop a two-point conversion against A&M. They had a real scare against Syracuse. But once Trevor Lawrence took over as the quarterback, it was clear that that was going to be a very hard team to beat the rest of the way. I hate that the story of the Clemson-Notre Dame game, at least on Twitter, became Notre Dame so overrated. Why does why do you guys keep thinking they're going to be any good? Blah, 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 blah. Not overrated, just not as good as Clemson, who is really, really good. Okay. You know, they, here's the thing with them that's, that's tricky to, to go into. So they play a, a solid schedule. You know, it's, it's not their fault that USC was really down this year. It's not their fault that Florida State. Both of those programs are typically a lot Stanford. Better. They played Stanford. Stan- they Stanford was down. I mean, even even a team like Navy, who's been much better than they were, Navy had an awful year. So it's not it's not their fault at that, but they won all their games. What's going to happen, you know, if, if Notre Dame is a – are you going to say, well, no matter what, Notre Dame is now all of a sudden on the UCF role where they can run the table and it doesn't matter because the two times they've had a chance – to play on the biggest stage, they've gotten blown out of the building. I don't know how you reconcile that. I wonder, you know, I tweeted this out when it was like an FBS head coach had been watching that clearly and had some of the reaction that a lot of people had, which was, what, we, what is the committee looking at? And I don't know. I mean, I, when I say I don't know, I don't, I don't know how you kind of square this because I think Clemson and Alabama you know, we've seen them embarrass a lot of good teams. We saw them embarrass Michigan State with Connor Cook and a bunch of, you know, NFL players. And it was, what, 34 to nothing or whatever. You know, when Clemson was rolling, they blew Urban Meyer's team off the field. Alabama beat Clemson itself by a similar score in last year's semifinal. And nobody was like, shut down Clemson's program. It just, it happened sometimes. Now, I think this was a particularly bad loss of the fact that they didn't score a touchdown. And also you saw, I mean, I think the perfect illustration of the difference between a program like Notre Dame, a good program, but not an elite program, and Clemson, is Clemson lost their best, their first round defensive tackle and still didn't give up a touchdown. Notre Dame loses their all-American cornerback early in the game. Julian Love and Clemson immediately shreds his backup. They don't stack star player upon star player the way 
Alabama and Clemson do, and frankly, not many others, not many, not many in the whole sport do. I think I'm really excited for the Alabama Clemson game because it's going to be two great teams playing each other. I don't particularly care that they this is the fourth year in a row, but there is also a um, you know a feeling of disappointment that the two semifinal games were duds and feeling like nobody else has a shot right now. You know, yeah, okay, you could have put Georgia in there again as Kirk Herbstreit wanted us to. And we know they're capable of, of, you know, at least taking Alabama to the wire. But what would that accomplish? You know, Ohio State is talented enough that if they're on their A game, maybe they could beat one of those two teams. But I don't think they earned it over the course of the season. So I'm not somebody who thinks the committee screwed up. It's not the committee's fault that these games are blowouts. You just have blowouts in the playoffs sometimes. But it does feel like when is this cycle going to end of Alabama and Clemson kind of lording over the sport? Well, you know, it's funny is we, we might as well be in the BCS era again because it seems like we don't, you know, like for as much talk and you and I have done a bunch of it and certainly off of Nicole Auerbach's reporting in like the last three weeks, you know, Jim Delaney from the Big Ten talking about the possibility of expanding the playoff. And people are going to go, you're just going to put in more more teams that are going to be lambs to the slaughter for these for these two teams. I think the reality is that one and two, I think there's a, I think, we'll see, but I think there's a little bit of a gap between Alabama and Clemson. And there's certainly, to me, there is a much bigger drop-off between those two teams and the next four or five teams than there is between four and eight. Like Yeah, for sure. So I don't know if it changes anything, but I guess back to the original point, is like you may as well get rid of the playoff and just have a two teams. And if like... You know, and right now, that's all we needed. We went to four teams because there were definitely years where there was a third team that was just as deserving as the other two. Not every year, but... Well, Notre Dame technically would have been as deserving. Now, they didn't have a conference championship game, sure. but... You know. Yeah, somebody pointed out on Twitter that if you know if you, if you did go back to two this year, Notre Dame just would have gone to some other bowl game, and if they won, much like UCF, would spend the whole rest of the offseason crying about the injustice of it but yeah, uh the team that won it all last year was the number four seed yeah so they and they definitely wouldn't have gotten it, it was just the top two you don't need to go to eight teams to be clear and i know I'm, I'm straddling the fence a little bit i i jumped on board a few weeks ago and i started to have some buyer's remorse about eight teams and now i'm just kind of like some days i feel like i do want it and some days i don't but i will say this the, the reason for pushing for it for me has really nothing to do with crowning a national champion. You don't need eight teams to determine the national champion because there's rarely been a year that I can think of where there was a team ranked lower than fourth that I thought was capable of winning the national title. It would be about getting. It would be about adding another round of meaningful games to the postseason. I just saw, in fact, uh, I want to say I saw that like 16 of the first 20 bowls were down in their TV ratings from the previous year. I'm guessing they're going to be a lot further down after this. Oh yeah, those two are going to be a stinker. You know, there's diminished interest in the postseason as a whole. The other games that happened today, Virginia blowing out South Carolina was a 28 to nothing. I can't imagine people were watching, tuning in for that for very long. Also, you know, Michigan didn't put up much of a great fight against against Florida. I mean, those were. But the Arizona Bowl went to overtime. Did you know that? I did, and and, and terrific programming by uh, my former boss. It was going on during the beginning of the Notre Dame Clemson game. Yeah, I, I look. There's going to be a lot of 
negative headlines about the TV. That, you know, maybe it would have already come out by the time you hear this, but my guess is that these this set of playoff semifinals will be the lowest TV rating since the, three years ago when it was the first time they did it on New Year's Eve. Let's ask the question that I've seen this come up a little bit. I don't know if college football media are bringing it up, but I see it from other people and other aspects of, of sports media talking about is noted as, as Alabama ruining college football. Because there is definitely some Alabama fatigue, I mean, from a lot of people. There is a lot of Alabama fatigue, but, you know, I remember this week, last year, I wrote something about the Alabama-Georgia championship game and got back nothing but, I'm not going to watch that game, I would never watch that game, I want nothing to do with two SEC teams. And then it was a classic, absolute classic game, and it got the highest TV rating for that game in in years. If this is a good game, people are going to watch it. I mean, if you're a college football fan... Why wouldn't you want to see these two great teams? I don't know if it's that though, I think it's about the, where we get there. How? Yeah. Well, this season, I wrote this in the column that that I filed from the game. This has been about as anticlimactic a season as I can remember. These were the two teams everybody picked in in yeah. spring camp. You know, like I went back and looked at my. I, I did not have the. I did not have Clemson number two in the one that I do in January at Ohio State. But by spring, for reasons I can't remember, I had moved Clemson up to two, and it stayed that way, obviously, the whole rest of the way. You know that expression? Like, I remember it was a Chris Berman line, that's why they play the games. Yeah. Because, cra- you know, crazy stuff happens. Crazy stuff isn't happening. Crazy stuff has crazy not stuff happened. Crazy isn't happening unless it's in, like, the, the Cheez-It Bowl. Well, the craziest moment of the whole season was, obviously, when Jalen Hurts came off the bench and rescued Alabama and uh, with some, some huge help from Kirby Smart. Actually, and this is... This is being too far in the weeds. When you said that, I was like, I actually thought the craziest moment of the season was Mark Cohen, the Texas TCU, <laughs> getting a 15-yard penalty well, in overtime. I, I do, as of this, as of us sitting here right now, so we still have a lot of bowl games to go, but uh, I do think the Cheez-It Bowl has been the highlight of the postseason. Is that is that crazy to say? Well, it was nine, nine INTs. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, that Alamo Bowl last night was a pretty good game. It was a good game. Yeah, yeah. that was probably the best game so far, but in terms of, like, craziness... It's hard to top what happened in the Cheez-It Bowl. In terms of the Florida-Michigan one, it's hard to totally make that into a referendum on Michigan because obviously they were without Rashawn Gary, Karan yeah. uh, Higdon, Devin Bush. Devin Bush. Like that's a lot. That's a lose. That's a lot of your your key guys. But and I also just think I thought Dan Mullen was a good hire for Florida. It's showing they did a lot of things on offense in that game that Florida fans haven't seen for years against a quality team. So you know, I, I think that was a that was a really good first season for Dan Mullen. But with Harbaugh and Michigan, it's the way they lost. I yeah, mean, Ohio State embarrassed that defense, and Florida. It actually could have been worse if there were a couple of like they had so many busts in the secondary. It's just like whoa, this is the season started out with a loss, and they lost their three most meaningful games or their three most significant yeah. games. Yeah, and I don't. I don't but know. they won ten. Yeah, and I don't know. I just saw some Michigan people at at our you know playoff game tonight, and the question was going to be, you know, what would they do? Like, what where do they go from here? You know, it's not they're not they're not going to fire Jim Harbaugh. But. No, I think you would have to. I mean, I think the the model you're going to want to try to emulate is is Notre Dame, who could have fired Brian Kelly two years ago, stuck with him, stuck with him, and it finally paid off. Did you see what happened today? That's not, I mean, I don't think, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a Michigan fan, I'm not, like, toasting that. I mean, I think Brian Kelly's a good coach, but 
Well, now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on a second. Notre Dame went 12-0 in the regular season. Yes, they got blown out in the playoff game. You, you don't think that's still a great season for them? That's a good question. Because if it's not... And if I, answer, you, if I get the wrong answer, John Walters is going to tweet it. If that's not <laughs> considered a successful season for Notre Dame, then it's going to be very miserable going forward to be a Notre Dame fan because they're not going to come back and do this every single year. They're not. I just think it's like... And, and again, this is the recency bias of this happened that I just saw... You know, a game that where you sit there and wonder is like, okay, if if this play gets reviewed and this guy, you know, like there was a couple of things where it's like, would the momentum have swung differently, you know, that way, and then all of a sudden it turns into this, you know, slaughter. But again, nothing happens in a vacuum, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to separate Brian Kelly's team that, you know, Eddie Lacy ran all over and. This one, which Trevor Lawrence threw the ball all over the place, and and just sit and go, man, that's like a, a little bit of a soul crushing loss, and I, I think that's why you're right. I mean, those players had a really good season, and you can't you can't take that away from them. But it just it's such a bitter taste where I I keep you know wondering, you know, if you're Oklahoma, you had Baker last year, and they gave Georgia every. I mean, I was at that game, like. There wasn't a ton separating those teams because no. Baker was so good, and it was an over, you know, overtime game. This wasn't like that at all, you know. Like, I don't. Again, and I think it's one of the cases where if you're a good team and you you play your C game, and the other team plays their A game, it could get ugly, and that's what happened. You know, there there's very few teams with the probably Alabama's the lone one where if they don't have their A game or close to it, you know, they can still hang. But everybody else, and I just think it's unfortunate Notre Dame, you know, after that month or whatever, I don't know what it is. They're just not crisp, and they, I, I, I don't know where they just don't have the resilience to keep battling through some stuff when it goes bad early. It's an interesting dilemma that you're speaking to here in this era of college football, you know, where so much emphasis is placed on the playoff. If you're a fan of a team like Notre Dame or Michigan or Oklahoma, you know, I get it. You want to win national championships. But if that's your only way to measure national success, bust, then yeah. that's going to be really frustrating in a sport where there are basically two or three programs that are winning all the national championships. You know, I mean, I do think Georgia is going to crack through here at some point soon and do it. I don't think Alabama and Clemson are going anywhere. And Ohio State is the only other team I program right now that I feel recruits at the same level as those others year in and year out. They just haven't. They just keep losing to Purdue or Iowa. So everybody else, it's like, I don't know if it's if it's that realistic that Notre Dame or Oklahoma or Michigan or Texas is going to win a national championship here anytime soon until something goes wrong for the ones we're talking about. Yeah, which is unique in that when they went to the fourteen playoff, it was supposed to have more ent- more access, and if anything, it feels the sport itself has become more restricted. Just because these other two programs are operating at, at a much higher level and nothing seems to be standing in the way of that. If there were not a four-team playoff, you know, Alabama wouldn't have played for the national championship last year. Correct. It gives these teams just like that that second chance almost. Yeah, to, that's true. That to, and then once they get in, they're good enough to win it. So, you know, Ohio State the first year, they're not getting in, you know, for a two-team format. They got in, they got hot. They're able to win it, but there's a small group of programs that are capable of doing that. That's actually a good point. You know, I didn't, I kind of didn't really focus in on that, but it's true. You, they have enough of a margin for error where they can overcome stubbing their toe early. 
Right. Was, you know, that's that's that was rare in the other you know in the other system. It didn't, there was. I mean, I remember there was a year Miami lost. I think it was their first national title. They lost to Florida early. They ran the table. They beat the great Nebraska team. They won a national title. But you just didn't see a lot of teams with you know winning it that way. So the four team gives more teams a chance in technically, but it also, you know, and it's what I, frankly, we're getting back to something I said before the season about Wisconsin, how I didn't think for all as successful as that program has been. And I know they had a bad year this year. They just don't have that elite talent to get into a postseason and win two playoff games. And now I feel like I, the, the list of schools that can do that is even smaller than I realized. Yeah, well, look, I, I'd be a, a, a moron to try to argue Wisconsin after <laughs> But... Big bowl win, though. Yeah, so uh, maybe this is me trying to sell the bowl game I've got in 24 hours. But one program that is recruited at least one year, Oregon had a top five class. They have everybody coming back now that Justin Herbert's back. I'm not saying they're going to go from being a whatever they're going to end up, a 9-4 and four team, to being a team that could play for a national title off of one recruiting class. But if that happens, if they string together th- you know, three more recruiting classes like this, did then they they get into a place in your mind where I mean they've already played for the national title twice this decade and so they did, and they did it without top yeah it's classes. certainly in the realm of possibility um, just like it is for Washington but if you're uh, do that though I do think you need a transcendent player yes like Marcus Mariota was that to some degree Deshaun Watson covered up a lot of stuff I'm not saying they didn't have talent around him but you need that player Baker Mayfield did that to a large degree for. For Oklahoma, they weren't good on defense last year either. I mean, if you threw Trevor Lawrence or Tua onto Michigan, I mean, Shea Patterson was seen as a savior. He's good, but he's not transcendent, as you said. You know, then maybe we're having a different conversation here. But in addition to collecting all the great defensive linemen, now Alabama and Clemson are getting all the best quarterbacks. It's kind of unfair. Well, I mean, Alabama has one of them. Yeah. I mean, they, they had Tua. It's not like... John Parker Wilson, Greg McElroy, AJ McCarron. We're only three years removed from them winning a national title with Jay Coker. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned it. This is a unique situation this year where the playoff games were so early that we now have a whole bunch more bowl games still to play before the national championship. And some of them are really good games, which I'm not going to let you say Oregon, Michigan State. What's your game are you most looking forward to? Uh, the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Because it's a really good pass defense. In Washington, they don't give up big plays against Dwayne Haskins, who's as talented a quarterback as there is. He's got good receivers. It's also Urban Meyer's last game. Um, I'm excited. I'm getting to work for Big Ten Network and cover that game. You know, I want to see, I mean, because it's Urban Meyer's last game, I just don't see them losing it. Right. You know, that would be really surprising if they did that. And obviously, that would be huge for the Pac-12 to get a win like that because short of... Utah, we expect to win. No offense, I know that's your alma mater, but you think that's a given they're going to win? Utah, yeah. I, there's nothing that's a given, but I to think, me that's a toss-up game. No, that's not a toss-up. No, really? Game. I don't think so. I think they're, I think they're the better team. Now they're they're playing with. You, the know, you do board. realize they didn't score a touchdown the last time they played. I do, but I re, I mean, just I've seen them in person. I've seen both of these teams in person. To me, Wisconsin was I'm sorry, Northwestern is good. But I don't think there's I don't think there's physical. I don't think they're I don't think they're as good as as Utah and Kyle Whittingham is great in bowl games. Yeah, that is true. He's I think he's only lost one. One. He's like ten and one or something. Yeah. I picked Utah. You did. Okay. Okay. So obviously, I always look forward to the Rose Bowl, and this this is no exception. But I will say that 
that one feels like as much of a foregone conclusion as these two games did today. Washington's not going to beat Ohio State. In How many confidence points last you put on that one? I know I put... What's your number one confidence points? I think it was Notre Dame, Clemson. Oh, was it? Okay. If, if it wasn't, that was very high. And I've got a lot on Ohio State. I don't remember exactly what. But, um... So, because of that, I'm going to... My answer is going to be the Sugar Bowl. Because I feel like the whole Georgia complaining about being left out. Their players were on Twitter. On you think that's uh, going to come back to bite them? It might. <laughs> it really might. I, I, You're going to say all that stuff. You better pack it up. And They're be without their best defensive player. Yeah. But also just, it's just a, such a bigger game for Texas. For, for Georgia, it's... It's a letdown game. They, they 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 truly feel like they should be in the playoff. Texas hasn't played in this big a bowl game since Mac Brown. So it's a chance for Herman and Texas to make a statement. It's also a chance, though, for Georgia. And if Georgia does go out there and kick their butt, you know, to remind everybody, like, hey, we're, we're still in the same. I know we haven't quite done it yet, but we are still in the same conversation with uh, Alabama and Clemson. Yeah, I mean, my gut is that Georgia's still a bigger, more physical team and they'll win. I don't know. You know, I, I think that it's funny just because of all the, the stuff that comes up conference-wise this time of year, and there's a lot of SEC fatigue as much as Alabama fatigue, and there's going to be a lot of people rooting for Texas in that game. I, I think so, too, even though Tom Herman has become kind of a polarizing, polarizing figure, figure yeah. in college football. But, frankly, so is Georgia right now just because, I don't know, I think non-SEC fans find it kind of infuriating that they're still – Still, even now, whining about not having gotten gotten in, even though they the lost the two losses, one of them by yeah, twenty points. Exactly. We said it. I think I said it back when we had whatever we had our podcast right after selection. I, like subjectively, I test. I do think Georgia was one of the three best teams, better than Notre Dame, but there was no good argument to put them in. The whole Notre Dame people making fun of their schedule. Or it's. Is, you think Clemson's schedule is better than theirs? You know, it's. It's a lot of this. There's a lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. It's the Notre Dame ACC situation. You know, it doesn't have. They didn't play a top five team. I don't think. I know they didn't. But they played almost all Power Five teams. They played programs that you know are generally pretty successful, like Virginia Tech and Stanford and USC. Some of them had down years. It, it Michigan. It's it's a perfectly respectable schedule, and they went undefeated against it. So I, I don't know what more you want from them, but. Hey, people love to hate the Irish. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, yeah. I, I mean, to me, that was like, I think I was more kind of kind of surprised by the way that one was and the way the Orange Bowl was. Just because, I don't know. Because you weren't bought in on Clemson. That's probably true because they hadn't really played anybody. I thought, I hate to say it, like, I think for a lot of people, they think Notre Dame is fool's gold. And it's because it's been so long since they won a big game. Now they've been in like there have been plenty of times where they they've they hung with a pretty good team. You know they hung with Georgia two years ago last year. Yeah, I mean yeah, they hung with uh, you know let's go back to the Reggie Bush push game. Yeah, that was the best thing that ever happened to the Jameis Winston Florida State team. They almost yeah, won. They almost beat Clemson. They right? almost beat Clemson in the rain. Yeah, it's been a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of near misses. And there's also been, like, they got blown off the field against not that good of a Miami team last year. Right. So it's just been, like... I no, I get why people are skeptical of Notre Dame. I do not get why, and there are a lot of people who still, four playoff, run, playoff appearances into this, 
still don't accept Clemson as being an Alabama-type program. They absolutely are. They're, they're loaded. Uh, and now they have Trevor Lawrence. So I, I thought it was pretty interesting and telling that the first two touchdowns against Notre Dame were true freshmen to true freshmen. That's when you know you're recruiting well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if the reason why people say they're they're not Alabama like is just because Alabama's won five national titles and they've sure. won, so there's no other program other than Alabama that you could say right now is better than Clemson. Yeah, and that includes Ohio State, Georgia, whoever, whoever else you want to throw in there. So I brought this up. This is a little. I'll do a shower. I'll do shout outs early. I'll do a shout out to Dino Babers. Uh, Syracuse got 10 wins. Freaking Syracuse. That's that, that like you can say ACC is not that good other than Clemson, and I would agree with that, but still, they got 10 wins. And you look back, they were awful before he took over. Eastern Illinois was horrible when he took over, and then they by year two, they won 11 games. So, I'd make the case Dino Babers belongs in your top 15 coaches. Hey, I feel very smart when they hired him, and I did my coaching grades that year. I gave them an A. Plus. Uh, you were very it, smart. It's it was, a, it was a great hire, and it's played out exactly as I, I thought it would. It'll be interesting next year. No Eric Dungy. Can I go to this here? So if I'm ranking coaches, and Urban Meyer is now off the list. You really want to start this conversation at 3.15 in the morning? Now who – I assume your number two is going to be Dabo Sweeney. Who would your number three coach be? You, at one point it was like – Jim Harbaugh was the number three guy a few years ago. After uh, the, no, guy, the guys I've had in the top five at various points lately were uh, Patterson, Gary Patterson, Chris Peterson, and I believe Mark D'Antonio was in there at one point. Uh, uh, you might have Chris Peterson, but I'm guessing you're not going to. Chris Peterson would still be very high on the list. Uh, who's number Lincoln three? Riley's got to be pretty high. I didn't put him in at all last year because it's only been one year, but, I mean, he's got to be very high up there. Okay. Well, wait. So you're saying one is Saban, two Swinney, three is. You're not going to put Kirby Smart in there at this point, right? Not, not quite yet. Although I do think he's he's on his way. There. No. I know you're not putting Les Miles in his national title in there. This is, you're really putting me on the spot here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say something and then I'm going to regret it. Hopefully. <laughs> Gosh, there's been so many coaching changes lately. Dan Mullen, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think I'd go Chris Peterson. Okay. I mean, they even in this quote-unquote down year, they are 10-3 and three and playing in the Rose Bowl. So, I yeah. mean, my opinion of him remains unchanged. Okay. All uh, right, so you did a shout-out to Syracuse, so I should do a shout-out. Shout-out to Gardner Minshew. What a, it's a very unusual situation where a guy comes in and just has one year. Just, you know, I don't want to throw out Cam Newton because you hold him <laughs> to be like <laughs> one step short of a god, but comes in seemingly out of nowhere and leads Washington State to its first 11-win season in school history, a great performance in the bowl game, and obviously just all the fun that came with him and the mustache and the crazy outfit he wore to San Antonio and all of that. So, God, I wish we had more than one year of uh, Minshew Mania. I agree. I agree. I'll root for him if he goes to the NFL or when he goes to the NFL. All right, one last thing here. You reported earlier in the day that Houston is probably going to part ways with major Apple White possibly by the time you've heard this podcast and by the time this podcast is up I think by around noon on Sunday I would expect that decision to be made Mm -hmm. he will be out I would think within probably the next couple of days probably by midweek I would expect they will have a new head coach 
I'd be surprised if it's not Dana Holgerson who had worked there before at Houston under Kevin Sumlin, and he is really connected at Houston. I mean, he lo- like, you know, he loves that city. He goes there a lot. Um, a lot of the, you know, he's just got a lot of connections there. Um, so let me ask the question that anybody listening to this right now might be asking: Why would Dana Holgerson, coach of a Big Twelve program, a, a a pretty good Big 12 program voluntarily leave to go to a group of five program. I think some of it is, is for the potential. I mean, it's going to sound crazy to say it because, you know, they got rid of Tony Levine after three years when he didn't, you know, he didn't have a bad run there. They're getting ready, ready, rid of major op white after two years. But right now I don't, I don't think West Virginia is offering that much stability to Dana Holgerson at this point. And so I think there's probably been some frustration there. And, you know, just knowing him pretty well, I don't think he wanted to move his family necessarily again. But at the same time, I think it comes back to the stability. You're at West Virginia, and he's done a good job there. But it's also, I think the expectations there, it's like they still think they're kind of in the Big East, you know, where they were one of the top programs resources-wise. Now they're in a, the Big 12, which is a Texas-based conference, and they're pretty far from Texas. And I feel like he's one seven and five, or even six and six season away from being on the hot seat there, because he's been there a while. And you know that wasn't the AD who hired him, so I think that that probably factors into why I think you know he could be he could be tempted to leave there. It certainly feels like he has a ceiling there you know they this this team if any probably the best team he was he's had and i would say this is the best team that he would have for quite some time and they finished what eight and four they had a game canceled so they were yeah yeah, i think that was eight and three and they lost the bowl game so eight and four and and with the bet what you said you know the geno smith team that started out really well i think finished like eight and five so uh yeah i can see that i do wonder okay you go to houston with they they have pretty. It seems like they've they've based off of that those two Tom Herman years. They've decided that they're going to be. I, I don't know. Like they, it seems like they. I mean, I guess at the very least they want to be doing what UCF's doing right now. Well, they. I mean, they got a relatively new stadium. I think there's also some figures that have to be. You know, the there was a lot of energy around there under Tom Herman, and it fizzled pretty quick. Right. So I think what you got to keep in mind is. If you're not, if your season ticket sales are, are diminishing, which it sounds like they were, I mean that's a that's that's money out the window, and I think that's a concern. I think expectations were high. I mean, someone had a couple of good years, and then he left, and then it started to backslide a little bit under Tony Levine. He recruited pretty well, and then for the most part, Tom Herman came in with his player with Levine's recruits, and he won. Yeah, and then he left. I, I think. Dana Holgerson is, you know, if he stays there long term, there's no reason why they can't become the top program in that conference. There's no reason why they couldn't be the, become the top, top group of five. I mean, they they're in as good a you know region for talent as there is. It's just a little fickle when you are dealing with a school that doesn't have huge tradition and, and massive fan base. You know, you're talking about season tickets, you know. Okay, he comes in. I'm sure there'll be a lot of excitement if he comes in. They'll sell a lot of tickets. Well, what group of five has huge tradition? 
No, I'm saying that's the problem with almost all of these, yeah. except for maybe Boise State, where you have one bad year and, and you, there's a, you know, you kind of. It's not like a Penn State that's going to sell out the stadium every year, no right. matter what their record is. It's right. going to vary wildly from year to year. So he, there'll be a lot of excitement early on. But if Dana Holgerson goes eight and four in year two or year three, I think that's just as likely to peter out as it would if it were Major Applewhite. Yeah, I don't know. I just think he get, he'll get more of the benefit of the doubt just because I think of his, of his reputation there. But we'll see. I mean, what you have is a very kind of wacky <laughs> president of the school and obviously a, a one big booster in Tillman Fertitta who, you know, is, sees it. I mean, it, it feels a little bit like Auburn light to me. And I'm not saying yeah. Auburn has a... It's a good, that's a good analogy. But just in terms of the volatility yeah. aspect of it. So we'll see. I mean... I mean, Major Applewhite's two-year disaster, I guess you would put it at this point, started out with them saying, with that president saying publicly, we fire coaches for going eight and four. So I guess they're following through on their word, but that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. Yeah, I mean, it is. It really is. And look, I think some of it is, you know, he went to the, you know, Art Bryles tree and then Kendall Bryles, the office coordinator who had a good year on the field, was going to leave, you know, was leaving. And then the offensive line coach was expected to leave. And then what's your plan B going to be? And I think that's the concern is like, what, okay, what's going to be the vision here? Where are we going with, with this? And I think it's one of those situations where if there's not a lot of, if there's some skepticism and then, you know, I think that they look at it and go, okay, well, just what are we getting here? And I think if the fans aren't buying in, that makes it that much more pressure. All right, well, let's wrap this up. You've got a crazy itinerary this coming week. You're going from here to San Francisco for the Red Box Bowl. I'm going to I'm gonna um, attend as well, but I don't have to work. But then the very next day, you're going to be at the Rose Bowl, and then you're going to come back up my way uh, for the national championship game. Yeah, I'm ex- I mean, I'm excited. This is the home stretch of the season. You know, like I'm excited of these two games. I don't know if I'm that excited about I'm literally going to, you know, take an uber to the airport in about an hour try to you know i don't know where i'm getting god bless you yeah Yeah. so but um but you know this is this is it we're in the home stretch of the season so and i'm you know i think we're going to get a good game with clemson i'm curious what kind of fan support or what kind of uh yeah what percentage of the fans that normally would come to these games especially for alabama They've been to so. I mean, they've spent a lot of money already for long trips. And now they're going to go to probably the most expensive place they've had to go. I'm I'm fascinated by it. I always have a vested interest in it. And I can tell you this: I first met with the committee, like the local committee that that is running it, last January, maybe two weeks after last year's championship game. And we were talking about it, and I said, like, you guys really better hope it's not Alabama Clemson. <laughs> and sure enough, here we are, because that is two fan bases that have done this year after year. I, I've been checking airfares right now from Atlanta to San Francisco or San Jose are over a thousand dollars. I actually don't think the tickets are going to be very expensive, but and then hotels are going to be outrageous. Hel- hotels on a normal week in Silicon Valley, like a courtyard, is three hundred, four hundred dollars. I can imagine what's going to be for this. So my prediction is it's not going to be a sellout, which is plus crazy. You plus, you won't get a huge percentage of local fans. You will get almost no local. Yeah. They've they've tried. They've tried to drum up the interest uh, I think you'll they'll get people to go to the free concerts and stuff but you know it's just not a college football crazy 
place to for people to want to go. I mean, I bought a couple face value tickets for people, and for the upper deck, it's four seventy five face value. Like that's ask that's a tough ask for tall yeah, ask for people. You don't care about the two teams. Yeah, so I, I think there could be some empty seats there, but I do think it'll be a good game. I mean, it's the fourth year in a row, but it's the first time that they're both undefeated going into it. Arguably, whoever wins will be considered to be one of the. Certainly, Alabama is going to be talked about as one of the best teams of all time if they win this game. Certainly, win a handle, and if Clemson wins, it's a very, at the very least the best team of the Dabo Swinney era yet. So. I'm excited. So we'll do another one of these podcasts before the national championship game. We're both in the same place in uh, Santa Clara or San Jose. And maybe we'll have a guest. Maybe we'll have a guest. Laura Rutledge was the most short-notice guest, I think, in the history of the podcast. I asked her during media day, and she came through. All right. And then she changed her Twitter handle for some reason. Okay. Well, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get somebody who is as, as, uh, as willing to come on. Okay. We'll see you guys next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB and subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get over here. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.